Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. Dogs of Warcry is a podcast from the Mortal Realms focusing on Warcry, a fast-paced cinematic skirmish game by Games Workshop. You can expect discussions on gameplay, rules, lore, painting, terrain, campaigns, and events. Welcome to Dogs of Warcry. In episode 1 of season 5, we're going to kick off the season with a light discussion of everything which has been revealed since last season ended, and share what hobby activities have been keeping us busy. My name is Josh, and joining me this week, Eric and Vant. How are you guys doing? Yeah, we're back with season 5! We're in a new season, we've got a new edition. It's it's like Christmas in Gur. Exactly, exactly. What kind of decorations do we have? Those gnarled oh, trees. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, gnarled trees with uh, blood uh, and teeth and uh, popcorn strings. <laughs> Pieces of silver tower on every bow. <laughs> Skull garlands, you know. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Now I'm in the spirit, guys. <laughs> right, right. I feel like we're coming up on uh, Halloween, and so that's probably the better ho- holiday to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Easy to get into the spirit of Warcry around Halloween. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, guys, it is great to be back for another season, uh, both with you guys, but also everybody listening. Uh, we're hoping to bring uh, some good, uh, good times. Good conversations back to the airwaves while you're hobbying, while you're playing games, whatever it might be. Although, I don't know if I could listen to our podcast while I was trying to play a game. No offense. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, should we get, uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. Before we get to our victory condition, uh, reviewing the Heart of Gur, the new edition, the games, uh, how the rules have been uh, playing out for us. Why don't we go through the Forge of Mithraxis and talk about what hobby we've been working on? Josh, what have you been up to uh, in the months since we wrapped up Season 4? I've been, a, been quite busy. Honestly, we got the Heart of Gur box set, so I, I certainly spent some time getting that all put together. Um, I've recently been working on some color schemes for that, and I'm excited with how that's going so far. I also wanted a more forest type board. So I've been working on a dark forest um, Warcry board, you know, four MDF boards of 11 by 15 inches. So I can make it modular and, and interact uh, with my other, you know, similarly designed terrain boards. And so this one's got like some rough textures and I'll add some grasses and some leaves and stuff. And so it'll be more, it'll feel more like a forest than the, the current flat boards we've got little less deserty feeling too so i'm really excited to try those out tomorrow in our in our warcry league i call and it my call first game. i have also yeah <laughs> i spent a lot of time uh converting uh some beasts of chaos to make my wendigo themed warband uh, i've got more conversions i've got to do to you know account for any uh, larger warband sizes so but uh, that's that kept me quite busy just take a while to make some of the conversions it's and uh, really still good. need to finish the green stuffing and and um and then eventually get them primed and painted. 
Well, it's cool that you've taken on such an ambitious uh, conversion. And I mean, Warcry is the perfect size um, to, to tackle something like that. So that's, that's mm-hmm. really cool. Can't wait to see the progress. Vint, what have you been up to on the Forge? So uh, one of the things, and we kind of talked about it last, uh, um, one of our episodes about picking a warband and what goes into that. And I got really lost in the weeds. I was in to jumping through different warbands and two other warbands and couldn't quite figure out what I was doing. So I, I've hobbied on Spire Tyrants and Darko Savagers and a whole bunch of different each Mortal loadouts and just just bouncing through just about anything um, I could get my hands on to. I had some Corvus Cabal I painted up. And all of them have been really, really, really fun. But now that I've kind of honed down, I've been able to get a bunch of paint on my Zeech Warband that I've locked in for our league. And then I had an event where I was able to go down and play and try and kill Gotrek uh, in a, it was like a, a bouncing Gotrek thing. We had four players trying to kill Gotrek. And that's <laughs> really, really hard when you give him extra activations based on the armies that are left. Because, you know, Gotrek only challenges so hard. Uh, but we, we went through <laughs> and we did that for a, a night and that was a lot of fun. Uh, but for that event, I played Darko Savagers because the people I was playing, I was playing with, they had gifted me, and we would went, we'd went to the ends of the moon to find all these Darko Savager models uh, before <laughs> the box dropped, and so I had all of them. And it was just, uh, I decided that for my travel, uh, whenever I'm traveling, I'll take them with me, um, and then depending on the event uh, and what I want to do, I'll be playing Disciples of Zeech or I'll be playing Darko Savagers. And that's just been fun. They, they've they been sitting and glaring at me from the shelf as I slowly like get some skin tone on them. But now they're they're They've come a long way. Um, <laughs> and the Disciples of Zeech models, uh, you know, using some of the new contrast paints on them and using some of the the new shades and metallic interactions have been really fun. Um, because there's each so you can make everything bright and poppy and weird and sure these these have teal blue skin that's that's what we do here in right South right Zealand. but other than that's that, that's, yeah that's how oh. zangors do <laughs> of, of the chaos gods zinch uh is definitely the most uh, uh can't cotton candy and uh bubble gum. uh and oh, that's absolutely that makes, that makes me feel better about zinch than the other ones the other ones scare me a bit <laughs> uh, I am also helping some of my uh, there's a few new players that I've helped recruit and so we've been doing some painting together too so I've gotten to see a nice. lot of cool paint go on some corn models and uh, there's enough Stormcast out there to shake a stick at that are all different colors now and that's really cool to see too you just can't help yourself awesome. mentor people into the hobby can you I, it's, it's, a, it's a thing <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't can't stop. <laughs> it's like some people they see a kitten on the side of the road, they have to take it home. Vince sees a, a future hobbyist and takes him home. Uh, so. Also true. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been. Uh, I I thought I was gonna maybe pull out the untamed beasts for you know and add to them and 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 do some stuff there. I thought I was gonna you know do some more work on uh, my my ogre maw tribes that I took to the. Uh, Shadow of um, Malice uh, event you guys uh, held here in town. But because we're in Gur, I had started a, a Cities of Sigmar Cog Fort army that had been kind of transported into a jungle setting. And so I started kind of working on that uh, warband and pulling some models together and testing that out. So my 
uh, Cogfort E4040 uh, warband is uh, is been in full action. Um, I if most of the hobby is about adding um, some mounted units. I've got a a sharpshooter for my leader, a pistolier, and an outrider. So I've been working on them. I've uh, been using the Cerberus uh, Adeptus Mechanicus models, and those are some high detail models. So uh, yes. again, it's pretty fun to do for for a small warband. Uh, that would be hard to do a whole army on, but um, really enjoy that. They're, and they've got all of the loadouts that you'd want for comparable cities of Sigmar, you know, pistolers and outriders and, and whatnot. So that's really cool. Um, and hoping to do some more. I'm hoping to, to keep working on that warband and working on uh, coats and that sort of stuff. Uh, then uh, I have been working on my Red Harvest terrain. So I'm a little behind, but I've got Red Harvest has like the big wooden platforms and then it's got a a Varanite Siphon and a Pit Dredger. Um, I've got the Varanite Siphon, which is the kind of like oil pump looking thing, mostly done. I've got a little bit more to convert on there. I've got the two large platforms done, all the walkways done, but I haven't done the Pit Dredger, which is like got all the, the cups or the bowls or the whatever going up and down. And that I'm most of that's just because I'm intimidated. Uh, but but we'll get the airbrush out and, and finish it off here soon. Mostly I wanted a I don't have the heart of Gur terrain, so I wanted to get something get some terrain that uh would that I could kind of fit into the vibe without it being the exact stuff. And so this stuff's kind of like a a leftover from a chaos warband that's been digging in 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 um in the Gnarlwood and we've sort of chased them off and taken over their camp and de chaosified as much as we can. So we'll see what happens from there. Yeah, definitely. Especially like the horns of Hashot, you know, that fits right in there with the industrial theme. You're like, we've beat them up and kicked them out, and now we take it over. Yeah. So, and we've, uh, I guess, all of us, we've started uh, our uh, local league. Um, it's been a couple years since we've been able to to do that. Obviously, I'm sure everyone else that's had a league uh, over the quarantine is uh, lamenting its loss. Uh, but we're trying to get it started up again here. Probably a little more uphill than it was when we when we. Uh, started when Warcry first came out, but having a lot of fun playing games with uh, new people and old friends and that sort of thing. So I guess that hobby's been Definitely. Uh, pretty fantastic. Nice job on the forge, guys. Let's keep it up. Let's see what else we build and paint and, and create. Uh, and we'll report back next time. That's right. We'll be seeing some of this on the table soon, right? Be yeah. awesome. <laughs> Check our Discord for pictures uh, that we post after um, our exactly. events. And- exactly. And that's Great kickoff to the Path to Glory, where we talk about the games, warbands, and quests that we've undertaken in our Warhammer or Warcry leagues. As Eric said, we kicked it off. You know, Gur, you know, the Battle Box came out mid August, so we didn't really get a lot of games in until a little later in August. We had some practice games, the rules, and got some, you know, kind of started teaching some people and trying some things out. Then we kind of kicked the league off, you know, third, fourth week of August. And it's been a lot of fun. Like Eric said, we've had you know a few new people, and uh, you know, Eric, uh, Eric and myself and Vint have all been playing games and and got some war bands, getting their quest started. It's been a blast. Um, the first couple games I had, I played with the Chaos Legionnaires because I did not have enough of my Wendigo war band together yet, and they were a lot of fun. Played differently than uh, than other war bands I had tried. And playing on the Heart of Gurs, you know, terrain was really interesting and unique. 
and enjoyed it even better when I got my Beast of Chaos uh, forced together and uh, you know rampaging monsters running around this this tree forts. <laughs> it was it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've won some, I've lost some, uh, but I've learned something every time. So it's been a lot of fun. Completed one quest. I did the quest to look for a specific chaos artifact, which is a, a pretty nice uh, eight-pointed crown for my Doom Bowl. And uh, now I'm working on the quest to corrupt the land and have my chaos encampment. So that, that should be quite interesting to do. And hopefully I'll get some games in uh, this week in our in our league and complete that quest. I have to do the battle, of course, to successfully occupy the encampment. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, one of these weeks during our, our league night, we did try out a three-player Triumph and Treachery game, and that was a blast. That was, uh, there are two different ones in the, in the Warcry rulebook. And the one we tried, uh, you had to assassinate the leader, and you only had 800 points of, of your warband on the table. It was it was a lot of fun, a lot of back and forth between you know the three players and uh, a lot of close calls. I, you know, by the hair of my chinny chin chin, I managed to, to, to stay in against the stormcast, and then I got taken out eventually. But it was it was a blast, a lot of swings and, and <laughs> stormcast climbing up terrain, smacking people and falling down. It was it was really fun. <laughs> how about you guys? How, how have your league games been? Um. A lot of fun. Um, I did get a couple of games. Um, I think maybe one, maybe two with the with my cog fort. And I had originally kind of had a lot of people on on foot, and they're a little bit slow for that. And it wasn't, and I didn't have any. I only had one mounted model that I played as a demigriff knight, and it was all right. Um, and I tried to put a lot of shooting like rifles in, and it was all right. But there wasn't much that could pack a punch or could. Uh, kind of get where I needed to. And so I played a couple of games. It was a little lackluster. And then I looked back over the, um, you know, the the potential and saw that the, you know, the sharpshooter leader is packs quite the punch, uh, very mobile, decent wounds. And I thought I should probably reorient the army around that, the warband around that. So I, that's kind of what I did with the, uh, adding those three models in, um, and it made a lot of the difference. It's fun because this the Cities of Sigmar Army is fun because it has a lot of elements that are good. It doesn't have a ton of like punch to it, uh, but it has a lot of mobility. It's got a lot of, of ability to, to ping wounds and, and pick things off uh, or at least like do damage consistently throughout a, a, each turn uh, so that the fourth turn, maybe you can clear some stuff off the board. Uh, but it's a lot of fun to play and I love the models that, that, that uh, I've pulled together, and so that's been fact fantastic. I've played about seven games of them. I'm about uh, fifteen Delorean, and I've I've got a quest to find uh, a location, a trade post, and I've played the game for that twice now, and, and not been able to get it. It's another like quadrant game. Uh, so if anybody's been listening uh, if to past seasons, my Untamed Beasts had a final convergence for their first quest uh, that was a clear. W- pick a quadrant in secret and make sure that at the end of the game, there was no enemy fighters in that quadrant. Uh, that was hard. I played that four or five times before I was able to, to succeed. This one feels like it's close. This has, this is, um, you have to own quadrants. Uh, if you have model your models in a quadrant and no enemy fighters models, you gain, you control that quadrant and you have to just control more quadrants than your enemy. 
And for a Warbrand that doesn't necessarily take out enemy models very well, I, you know, my last game we, I played against Mike, I think I took out half his army of um, the Rot guys, but I uh, didn't quite finish up the job. So I have to find, I have to dupe somebody else to play me that doesn't know the rules as well as I do. Uh, in the, the yeah, so you gotta, you gotta play Joe or myself because <laughs> we have six models. There we go, that are hard to kill. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Uh, my other game uh, outside of the the Cogford is I do have my Maw Tribes army. Uh, I got Krog, uh, the the Admiral of the Mule Privateers, is a Firebelly, a couple Man Eaters, a Saber Tusk, and a whole bunch of Nomblars. Um And they've been fun to play. And where my uh, my Cogford cannot get through uh, Stormcast armor, uh, my Man Eaters do that just fine. So I get to I get to switch between the two. Uh, I, I forgot my Cod Fort army. They were on the paint table, and I forgot them last Tuesday. So I happen to have my ogres with me. So we started their campaign off. But yeah, so that's my that's been my league night stuff. I've got about eight games in, and I'm really enjoying it. it it's really good to be back and playing uh, on a consistent basis. And I love you guys. Yeah, it's so for good. sure. All right, over to you, Vin. So. Uh... Right before the league, right, we uh, I wanted to test out some lists, so ran around with a couple of each mortal lists that uh, I've since honed in, and now I'm playing the uh, uh, Zirin uh, and Zirin's Cabalites through their their mission to build their own chaos fort out of the remnants of Silver Tower all over the land. Uh, those things blew up kind of big, um, but I got three games in with corn mortals to taste, uh, kind of to test the list. Um, to make sure that it was going to work for my buddy who has corn and playing corn mortals is, is super funny. They're super punchy uh, and they're oddly resilient. If you lean into some of their heavier models um, and they've worked really well, uh, I'm excited to see how he writes the story. Cause that's not normally his jam, but so far I've gotten a, a game in with him as well. And that's been, that's been a blast. Uh, I know they've been having a hard time getting to, League nights, but I think they're returning tomorrow too. I I did a, I did a fair bit of traveling, so I got uh, like three or four games in with Dark Oath uh, when I was down in Illinois last, and they were super super fun. Um, it was exactly what like the few tweaks I had made to the list when I initially got them just paid huge dividends when I played them, and they're super fun to just kind of push through the story of of what they were doing. Uh, and I was teaching people, and again back to compulsions. Is teaching people some uh, some people how to play Warcry, and uh, in so doing, I would put the Dark Oath on the table. I would put some Zeech Mortals on the table. I'd put some uh, Gits on the table, and then I had my Spire Tyrants, and I ended up playing those uh, two games in a row. And I haven't played those in in quite a while. I think the last time I played them was against you, Josh, and I think that was almost a year ago. So so picking up, you know, and I have I had I think three boxes of those. And picking up all the models and just figuring out they're mostly painted um, and figuring out what I was going to build in this list was it was just uh, it was like visiting an old friend. Uh, and I, I really, I, you know, it almost like re-inspired me to go back and be like, I'm going to be a gladiator and we're going to fight for the you know, fight in the streets of Congard, like straight out of Congard, <laughs> selling skulls. I don't know. They're just they're super cool. Um, they're super <laughs> neat. I forgot how mean that and like a much of a bully that leader can be. And and in looking at yeah yeah, yeah. And the beastmen yep the beastmen were good too a- actually it was very funny both games I had two beastmen on the table with my spire tyrants 
and they both just got eaten alive. Like I don't I don't know like the I knew the other players were new, so it wasn't like <laughs> we know that those are threats. They're just like they just didn't like Beastmen, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but they just killed him like almost right out of the <laughs> gate, um, which was okay because like there's other really sturdy models in that in that unit or in that army uh, warband. There we go. There's the words. Um, <laughs> but uh, they're they're really sturdy. They really know how to like scrap and and just hold somebody down while their their buddies beat up on them. Uh, and it was it was super fun to get involved with that. Uh, we did like I said the Go Trek mission. We played on two. We put two boards together and put four warbands down. And then we just, for every, awesome. uh, the initial uh, engagement is that uh, Gotrek gets a certain amount of activations. So because we doubled the warbands and we added points, we just doubled the amount of activations he got. So he just like, he, he killed <laughs> a whole unit, a whole uh, warband of Slayers and Slayer likes. <laughs> so they fulfilled their oath. Yeah, he just milled <laughs> through those right away. And then he moved into uh, some Sylvaneth. They were just throwing bow shots at him, and he milled through most of those, too, uh, and then finally got plinked by a bow shot. And just, it was, the, it nice. was he, he had a very uh, Kukulin uh, uh, kind of last stand where he's just full of arrows, and the last one gets him. Like, it was, it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> but, Did you just use the yeah, yep, from the, the yep. White Dwarf a while um, back? No, okay. Didn't change anything besides the activations. Besides the activations. No. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because we had, uh, we had uh, five people. So one of the the people was like, "I'll just run Go Trek," and it was super funny because they they knew the the least about Go Trek, but they were very. Uh, they play a lot of Age of Sigmar, and they get very like <laughs> like like annihilation player, right? Like they just want to kill everything. So it was just like, uh, you know, almost comical as they were like. You know, oh, we're gonna kill him, and like as a player on the table, like, oh no, do it! Like, <laughs> here he comes, look out! <laughs> um, I uh, I might have been a little devious though, and started killing some of the other teams. <laughs> they were definitely in the way, and well, you know. I, I, you know, it just you gotta sometimes. So I had squig. My spire tyrants had squig for dinner. Uh, it was pretty okay. They were so fast and so out of place, and then definitely right into the cauldron. Um, but it, it was super fun. the The table we were playing on was Gur themed. Uh, it was that we had a bunch of AOS terrain for Gur, and we had built it. And it's just it looks like bigger versions of the heart of Gur terrain, uh, and so that was kind of cool to play like in a giant skeleton of a dragon and like. Uh, we threw Gotrek. Yeah. We threw Gotrek into one, <laughs> so that was cool too. <laughs> Nobody fell into lava, though there were lava pits. I was really hoping to push Gotrek in. <laughs> Speaking of compulsions, uh, but yeah. So those are those are the games. It's been fun. Um, I was really worried about my game I had tonight, where I was going to play Stormcast for the first time in the league, and I was very nervous. And uh, my list did just fine. The Volkark screamed its way into victory, and. Uh, we were okay, so that was pretty cool. Nice, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, those, yeah, those thunder strikes. Yeah, cast are tough. Well, and that, that Lord Imperitant that Joe has, <laughs> yikes! <laughs> yes, I know. Yeah, his ability is just yeah. six nine. Oh, he just deleted extra attack. I had a, a Zangor go up and try and just tackle him. Right, I'm just gonna burn one of your activations. You might kill me. 
but hopefully not. I've got 15 wounds, right? That should be enough. It does like 32 damage in one swing. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's nope. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, he yeah. must have got that artifact. Oh, yes. oh it's really good thing is he's only range eight. So uh, I think uh, that's the that's the only sh- yeah. the silver lining there. Uh, yep. <laughs> awesome yeah no it just reminded me too that uh we we before the league started we talked about having a league kickoff like doing some sort of siege into you know the forest of the gnarl wood so we definitely need to think about that some more and, and find a good day and pull that off maybe when would be super fun us, be awesome. i think all the people that play in the league would love it too we get like yeah. you could tap into the aos players too because i think it's just fun uh I've been finding a lot of people that, that like AOS, like Warcry too, and that's not a surprise really, but it's just another way to play with your models, right? Right. And the travel is so easy, right? Exactly. I can travel with a warband and keep it in a case in my book bag with my books for whatever else I'm doing. It's so nice. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. almost maddening, some would say, like the visions of madness. <laughs> Bum, bum, bum. Uh, so the Vision of Madness uh, is part of our podcast. We talk about announcements and speculation. With the Heart of Gur expansions and the the aggressive and awesome release schedule that they've come out with for Warcry has just been so, so good. Uh, I'm very, very excited. I just, I'm on pins and needles waiting for whatever comes next. I didn't see, you know, the, the Legionnaires. I was not ready for those. The Centurion, I was not ready for that. Like, it's just... If that's if that's the benchmark, I yeah. cannot wait to be blown away by the rest of these war bands that come out and the rest of these models that come out. It's going to be Definitely. so good. I really yeah. appreciate that they are putting out kind of an aggressive schedule, given that we're. I, I'm sure some of it is, you know, they may not have been able to do as much over the pandemic as they wanted to, but as we're like trying to get a uh, you know league back up and pull people back out again, um, it's every single one of these releases is opportunities to pull more people into the hobby and to come out to Warcry uh, League Nights. And so I think it's advantageous for us on a local level to have uh, a lot of those coming out. It's also great for us at a podcast level and have a lot of things to talk about as they keep coming out. So uh, I feel like it's going to be a, a good on both definitely. Uh, wavelengths. Yeah, yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing how the storyline evolves too, since it's all supposed to, you know, that over the year, it's all going to take place in the Gnarlwood. And I'm, you know, again, assuming we're all getting closer to the ruins in the middle and, you know, how that changes, what rules they introduce, uh, you know, what challenges. It'll definitely be a lot of fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's super, it's super exciting. Uh, another thing, right, with, uh, with this new edition came rules and compendium via PDF. I can't tell you how many new players, again, compulsions, uh, that I've been able to be like, oh, well, you don't want to spend money on the rules. I get that. They're free. Here's the website. I'll send you the link. Right? It's just so, so nice to have access to those basic things. And, you know, having access to your your War Scroll cards for each each army. Right? I know exactly what I can play right out Mm -hmm. of the gate. It's so good. And it's so helpful. I can't wait for, you know, uh, more and more people to flock to this specific game because of how accessible it is. And that's so important for any game. Inclusivity is, is a huge part of any community, right? If we want to expand and grow, we want to make sure everybody feels comfortable and happy with, you know, the, the rules and, 
it's accessible to somebody who's never played before. So, you know, little Jimmy and his buddy, uh, Neutron Steve, they're going to get together and they're going to play their game of Warcry with the rules they found online for free. And that's going to be so cool. Yeah. Then they're going to hear about a league when they buy their third or fourth warband and they're going to come play with us. And it's going to be super, super good. Uh, and that'll put more time in between when, when Josh gets to whoop up on me with his piece of chaos. You know, I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Uh, yeah, but I'm one. <laughs> and I'm one for 14. <laughs> I think so. I, I want to emphasize that, like, when, when they sell a rule book, I mean, the work that goes into those books is huge number of people that you know come up with the ideas edit them like it's a huge process to go through and publish a heart uh, you know a full book that you that games work typically does and so anybody who purchases the book like you're getting your money's worth and it's and it's great um our our buddy um mike went and took his and got him spiral bound and so he's getting even more use out of them uh doing it that way um but i will say is is that so the books have a ton of value. The rules have a ton of value. I think they're going to get more than I hope. And I believe that they'll get even more in returns by having more people come into the game, play the game, buy models, you know, paint by paints, buy stuff. Yeah. And, and not, so I don't want to say that rules are not worth the, the money that they charge for them. Uh, but I, my expectation for me, I want to buy the plastic. And the more I get the rules uh, for free, often the more I'm up for buying more plastic and getting deeper in. So um, I hope that's the case uh, with this move. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, one of the things I've run into actually twice now with new people who haven't played before is that they're really excited that the rules are free online. And the first thing they do is they're like, "Well, I don't know if I want to print it all off, but I definitely want to have them handy." And I go, "Okay, well, you can keep looking at them at your phone." <laughs> And they go, oh, and then it, it dawns in them that yeah, they should go buy a book, right? And so a lot of a lot of people will still have the book, right? <laughs> it, it's still super useful, and I don't think it's going to decrease sales more than a, a, a drop in the ocean. But I think it's definitely going to increase the amount of people that can play or want to play, want to experience it. I have friends that I never thought would even talk to me about Warhammer are like, hey, do you know about Warcry? I'm like, well, coincidentally, uh, at least two things about Warcry. Um, and it's, it's just been super cool to see this advent of all these things coming forward with, with accessibility in mind and inclusivity in mind and watching it form a community around those tenants. It's just, it's, it's awesome and inspiring. Uh, and I'm really excited to be, you know, continue to be part of it and just, just enjoy it. Right. We're all on this ride together and it's, it's not stopping anytime soon. Speaking. Speaking of community, there's a lot of stuff coming up in the next year around events. Why don't you tell us about those? Yeah. So we've got Adepticon 2023. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Uh, there's definitely going to be some Warcry events at Adepticon. As far as uh, we can tell you, we will be there. Um, at least Josh and I. Mm -hmm. And Eric, you're going to be there too? I am going to make every effort possible to be there. Nice. Um, oh, perfect. But yes, yeah, <laughs> that's everybody yes. heard it here. Uh, that's a confirmation <laughs> of 100%. Uh, 
Uh, we should guys... confirm payment payment too while we're on the on the call, right? Like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like, yeah. Payment, are you coming? Sounds yes. Like... <laughs> well, you guys did a fantastic job with the event last year that they've asked you back, and uh, we have an opportunity to design a new event, tweak it, whatever we want to do, and the kind of the base pack will be out for the narrative event at the end of this month. I don't know. I guess I don't know. That's when we're going to be submitting it. I don't know when it goes out to everybody or when it becomes available. Right, right. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the <laughs> things I I, uh, I had the fortune of being down uh, and hanging out with some of the people that uh, help organize the events. And one of the things I talked with them directly about was the potential for things like Tome of Champions that normally come out in December, and if those come out, how that would change some of the events. So I'm very excited that uh, it was something that was both entertained and encouraged, right? To keep things fresh and on, on the verge and riding that wave. Uh, I also know that there's going to be another event uh, run by somebody that's a good buddy of mine now that we met in Illinois. <laughs> and they're going to be running a competitive uh, <laughs> war cry uh, event as well. Um, and it sounds like we're going to be supported for both of those, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. I know I'll, I plan on playing in the competitive event, and I, uh, I'm, I hope to be a better ringer if I end up being the ringer in our in our event this time. Uh, <laughs> lose, lose, lose more often. Good. Uh, <laughs> we'll make sure you wear the kid the the soft gloves next time. You know, it <laughs> it didn't. It was a good time. I, uh, I I really enjoyed all my games with all my opponents uh, at the last event. But this event, I think we had talked that uh, if there's a ringer needed, it's going to be Josh. So uh, good good luck, everybody else, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, really excited about the event. We're going to be doing another narrative event. It's going to be just as awesome. We've definitely put some work into the story, right, guys? Um, and we're very pumped to see where this is going to go. I think Gur is just a really cool place to write in. Um, and I think we're going to have a, a blast uh getting these quest lines to where they're going to be awesome. Um, for those of you who could make it last year to Adepticon or this year to Adepticon. Yep. Uh, it's been, it was a super fun event. A lot of people had a lot of fun and that's not just us tooting our own horn. Uh, it was, it was good. They said so. Uh, they said so. It was on, it was on camera somewhere. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> so Adepticon 2023, it's going to be awesome. Be there or be square. Um, but please come and uh, and play in our event because it's going to be great. FlatCon uh, is going on on October 8th. Uh, one of the things with the U.S. Open in Chicago, uh, I noticed that there wasn't any Warcry events that were listed. And I debated on going there, but then one of my friends uh, was telling me about FlatCon in Bloomington, Illinois. And they're going to have at least a one-day Warcry event there. Um, and it sounded like there was potential for them maybe doing two, depending on the out, uh, the amount of people that show up. Um, and I know there's spots open and it's all at $10. Any of our listeners down in Illinois land, or if you're a listener here in Madison somewhere or the surrounding area, like give me a call. We'll go down together. It's good to be a blast. There's also an AOS tournament there. And I think there's, uh, other events for other game systems, but honestly, I was most excited when he, when he said there's a Warcry event, I was like, okay, I'll take the day off. And I called mm -hmm. my boss right there. So it's going to be super yeah. fun. Can't wait to go. It's going to be great. I'll uh, put some Darko sandwiches. 
And it reminds me that uh, there was uh, somebody in our Discord also mentioned that they're they're hosting a one day War Cry event in Oshkosh on Ooh. October first, I believe. Um, so I don't have any additional information about that, but for people who are locally or nearby, uh, you might want to do some searching for some of the game stores in Oshkosh to see what you know what that War Cry yeah. event might be. Invite anybody who has a War Cry event in the coming year or months. Uh, if you would like to let us know about it, uh, we can yes. uh, share that here on the podcast leading up to whatever the date is so that uh, people nearby who could be listening to us uh, will know about your event. So we're happy to just uh, be a part of that spreading of the news. So please write in to uh, dogsofwarcry at gmail.com. I believe that's dogs of warcry, not the dogs of warcry. Or jump on our Discord chat with us over there, whatever you want to do, uh, get that information to us. Yeah, no, we'd definitely love to share that. Splendid. Yeah, lots of good stuff, you know, especially since last season coming out, the new season of Warcry and Gur. It's going to be great. And with that new season, of course, <laughs> we have a Circle of Paint challenge. And of course, all of our listeners out there who might have known that Paven and I had a Circle of Paint challenge last season where we had to paint up the warbands, you know, from the um red harvest box set and i had the darko savagers and he had the tarantulas brood but he also painted up some thunderstrike stormcast and decided to go with that for his warband so the voting for the dark oath versus the thunderstrike stormcast was super super close i managed to pull it out with 28 votes versus pavens wow. 24 super super close so well done. Awesome paint jobs. Thank you, everybody, who voted. And we've got something exciting for you this season where we are going to do something a little larger in scale. And we're going to be doing monsters. Monsters or similar type models. You know, So it might be a, something that counts as or whatever else. But we're going to be doing monsters. And we're definitely looking forward to getting all of your perspectives. Yeah, on we, we, we might. Uh, obviously, when we do the painting, like it's just about the models themselves and what they look like, et cetera. If somebody wants to, you know, create something brand new, that's totally fine. Uh, how they choose to substitute them or get them onto the table is a different story. But for this, we just want big monsters. Part of the is, is we haven't done maybe what we feel is enough playing with monsters in a game to kind of tweak it and find the sweet spot for it. Uh, we played some, you know, three years ago and kind of, didn't put enough mm -hmm. thought into it to see how we could improve it, etc. And uh, we'd love to make monsters a bigger part of our games in the future. So uh, we figured we should just start painting some up and building and painting and playing and uh, seeing what else we can do with them. So, uh, and it will just be really cool to have some big stomping monsters on the table. Any preview of what you guys are thinking about for a monster? You got you got a few you're choosing from. It doesn't have to be your the one you end up going with, but you got any thoughts? Uh, I mean, I've had a mutilith vortex beast for a super long time, and he would really fit with the Z tour band yep. and kind of the aesthetic. So mm -hmm. I like that. I also have a, a Cygor that I've been slowly working on. He's got one eye, one horn, and fury wings. So that one-eyed, one-horned, <laughs> flying purple people eater might be, mm, yeah, might be coming to a, a theater near you too. Yeah. <laughs> give him, give him a beak, and he could uh, uh, hang with your your Zich. Pass for Zich, yeah. <laughs> but there's uh, as far as monsters go, those are a couple. 
Uh, I know I've been kicking around uh, some of the monsters from uh, Order. Um, I've been kicking around some of the monsters like the Cryptus or the uh, mostly just the Cryptus, yep, or the Hydra, uh, because tentacle monsters are cool. <laughs> and uh, that that's where I'm at. Uh, those are the ones, or, or something Beast of Cassie. Right, right. I have a Chimera, but I can't seem to find it. So I'm hoping that I find it, because I wanted to paint it up. Uh, however, I do have uh, a Saigor uh, as well, that I, or, you know, uh, there's two different options in there. I can't remember what the other one is called, but... Uh, Gorgon. Thank you, the Gorgon or the Saigor. So I do have that option. I could slot that together and, and paint that up if needed. How about you, Eric? Any ideas? Um, so I'm playing Destruction, and I'm playing Order right now. Order doesn't have a lot, and I couldn't see myself doing um, either the Hydra or the Charybdis unless I could find some sort of like mechanical octopus or something like that to take its mm-hmm. place. Not really looking to go that deep. Uh, I wish there was more for Order. I'd love to do, yeah. you know, a Griffin or something, a fourth Griffin. Uh, in my collection for 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 that for the ogres I can't remember i mean like some of the trolls could be interesting i've got some uh i don't know if the you got giants now they, oh, right. yeah i was gonna say do they have the regular gargants not the the mega yep. gargants but the the regular regular gargant yep. plays plays in destruction so i could you know i could see maybe doing something like that i i have wanted to do um a gorgon or a cygor at some point um i've got uh but I also have an ogre army that's uh, ogres and, and tyranids, so maybe I could uh, do some sort of uh, uh, big uh, bug uh, mo- uh, monster or something like that. So I don't know. I've got because I'm not playing chaos right now, which they have all of the the best monsters. Uh, such such cool, um, but I don't love like the old the old uh, models as much. Like they're not as detailed or finely uh, created or you know whatever as some of the newer stuff. So. Whatever it is, I feel like I want to cobble something together, but I haven't decided what it is just yet. I suppose it doesn't have to match one of my armies, but where's the fun? True, true. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what David wants to do. Yeah, yeah. It'll depend. I think we'll have to get him on next time and share share that information with us. We'll have to interrogate him, make him tell us. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to putting them all together painting it playing with some games with it and uh taking some photos of it later so we can all see who's the best <laughs> me made the best monster win <laughs> Ooh, yep all right mine wins because more tentacles guys so just oh, saying. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's jump into the victory condition our main topic for this episode we're going to talk about our uh kind of the changes uh from uh, first edition of Warcry to what I'm calling Gur.0 and uh, share our thoughts on those kind of changes, our experiences. It was when those first came out, you know, it's hard to know what that's going to, uh, how that's going to impact the game. Uh, and then we'll be talking about just kind of how our games have been overall, our impressions, what we like about it, what we maybe miss about the old um, edition, that sort of thing. But why don't we uh, jump right into um, the rules that have changed and kind of how that how that's impacted our games. Uh, first of all, thank you to Games Workshop for sending us a review copy of Heart of Gur. Um, a lot of us kind of uh, we did a last podcast episode was an unboxing, which was 
uh, super weird for us to do. Never done that before and done an audio version of a, of, of a physical, tangible, visual uh, thing. Uh, but also allowed us to get into the rules. And we, we put out, I think, 17, 18 changes that we saw kind of in our first uh, couple of read-throughs, uh, mostly thanks to Josh pointing those out. Um, we're going to we'll go ahead and kind of read through that list. So if you've read that list, you're familiar. But we're just going to kind of go through those, see how they've impacted kind of each one, and maybe we'll come up with some other ones that have changed <laughs> a lot since uh, then as well. So first off is the start of a game is a roll-off between the attacker, uh, a roll-off to, to decide who's the attacker and defender. And the way the, the rule used to be is that you would uh, roll-off uh, for priority, and the loser would be the one who set up for uh, their dagger, shield, and hammer first. There wasn't an attacker defender allocation of, of kind of title, but the loser would uh, kind of set up their dagger and reveal their division of um, their warband. Now, when you roll off, whoever wins the roll off chooses whether they want to be the attacker or defender. The defender sets up their dagger, shield, and hammer first, but then there's also some other implications that come with uh, either being the defender or attacker later on. How has this been for you guys in terms of uh, changing this kind of very first thing you do when playing a game? Uh, I think it's been nice because, I mean, before you hit the priority roll and then you had initiative, you know, so it's nice where you just have this roll to serve into your attacker or defender. And as you mentioned, um, in some of the quests, like for some of the chaos quests in particular, you get bonus points toward your quest completion by being the attacker. So it does give you the option to okay I'm, whether i win or lose i'm still going to get these bonus points for just being the attacker and I, i'm going to choose to do that which is nice anything on your invent anything feel different or better i mean i think it it makes it uh with the older system it felt like you had to be on right away right you know where do i want to go first or i want to go second like is my deployment something i'm worried about and, and you, you kind of had to to get it in your head what you wanted to do beforehand. This feels like you can ease into, you know, you walk, you wade into the pool and not dive in with both feet. And I think that that feel for the game is really good. Cool. What I'd say is I don't always know whether I want to be attacker or defender because you don't know what's coming down the road. The only benefit is if I choose attacker, then my opponent has to kind of split up their teams first and I can kind of answer that. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but I don't always know uh, what the benefit or the, the positive or negative of it down the road is. So it still feels a little bit random, like it has a bigger impact than I can fathom at that, that first roll. But overall, it's kind of interesting to have an attacker-defender dynamic as part of the, um, the rule set now so that like every game has you know, someone who's the, the aggressor and someone who's the kind of taking the brunt of it or being caught off guard or being ambushed or something like that. So that's kind of cool. The next rule is changes battle group distribution. Now you have to uh, distribute your fighters evenly between your hammer, dagger, and shield as evenly as you can. Previously, you it was a little more, it was harder to remember sometimes. You had to have at least one fighter in each battle group. No more than half the war band um, uh, in any one of those, and the shield had to contain one third of your uh, or more of your fighters. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a little more feast or famine and that sort of stuff. What's been your experience, kind of having to just evenly distribute them? 
has it been less fulfilling or less being able to kind of feel like you less you can choose with your with your uh, battle groups i think it's nice i i definitely had a a, a strange game right before we went to group point oh where somebody put all of their rats into one group and then had smaller rat like a couple rats here and a couple rats there and the the ability for them to consolidate so fast that I couldn't recover was just like it it made the game it, it gave again gave kind of the feel bads to the game real fast and real early and made it very very uh very difficult to play against so I like the even feel I think that that's good because it means that you're not it kind of takes away some of the the scheming you can do where okay so my shield when that comes in is so stacked that nothing can touch it in the rest of the game and we're fast enough or we're strong enough or we have that is the the core of my group and then I have you know a couple piddlywink units or models and these other two things um, I just think it's way more balanced to do it balanced how about you, Josh? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think, uh, I mean, I always typically had a fairly even distribution across my battle groups anyway, unless it was a convergence where you could look ahead and see, oh, okay, I, I need to have these sorts of models in this battle group, you know, because I know we're starting on them. So in those particular cases, I might shift a little bit. But in general, I preferred more of an even approach because you never know what the victory condition is and everything else. So you can always flex your play time a little bit don't, don't accidentally get that one assassinate card where oh i put one model in my hammer and he just has to take that guy out all right you know so it avoided that problem what about you eric what do you think yeah i i think i like it better as well i don't have to think as hard about how i'm putting things together it puts more weight like if i you know i think previously we had felt like the shield was the, the least likely to be off the table starting the game so I'd often put more of my stuff in the shield and hoping that if we got a deployment where somebody was, you know, some one of my battle units is round two or round three, that at least it wouldn't be the shield and I'd have most of my models on. So I, I think that negated some of that um, suspense or, or kind of having to put models back. But that also means when, when we do have like a round two or round three deployment, more of your models are out, right? Um, and so I think that that impacts the game a bit there. Um, but it also kind of spreads your units around and, and I, I think on the same way where it was hard to necessarily know which one to, to put your, your units into and, you know, be in the right position because you didn't know where anything was, this sort of like gives you the, the all around, you know, ready for anything by, by breaking them up more evenly. So I think I like it overall for sure. So. So overall, I don't think it's it's made my games uh, worse. I'd say it, it it's generally made that a part where it's easy for me to think about my little groups and I kind of try and bring variety to each of my my battle groups uh, rather than stacking one as uh, heavy with something. Then we've got uh, a a new way of drawing cards. Now we read this. I'd be interested to see if we still read this the same way after playing some games previously. It, the rule read, once all the battle cards have been drawn, you resolve the cards in the following order. Uh, and it gives you the order of the terrain setup, and then you do the deployment, and then you do the victory condition, and then you do the twist. And it always impli felt implied that you reveal the first one, do all the things there, then you reveal the next one. 
in the current rules, it says drawn cards are placed face up, and then we uh, also roll for deployment zone color once the card is oriented. So it implies a little bit more transparency in seeing what's on the card or, or what's available as you start doing your other things like setting up terrain and looking at your uh, deployment or where you're putting stuff, etc. Mm-hmm. Still read that way to you guys, or is there any different way that you're playing that? Yeah, no, I think it does. I think the difference, it, it feels different now because everything is up first, and then you then you'll get to, you know, kind of decide, all right, based on what I see here, do I want to be red or blue, you know, in terms of, it, you know, I think in the previous version, like you said, it felt like you had to do it in a certain way, so you didn't necessarily see all the cards at once. How about you, Vin? I'm, I'm right there with Josh. I feel like, uh, you know, you just, it feels more natural. It feels more like what it should be, um, where you're not, it's not up to dealer's choice kind of thing, or, you know, do I want to be red or blue now that I know what the, yeah, it just, it, it's good. It's just good. It's the right way to do it. What Josh said. <laughs> <laughs> I like being able to make decisions with a little more information, but yeah, in the end, you still roll off for, uh, deployment. Uh, so, uh, it's not like you're going to get all of, all of the choices, but all right, next, this one's probably pretty simple. Falling distances change. Previously, it uh, was the vertical distance of three inches or higher. Uh, and the rules errata came out and said that you had to round up half an inch. And I think that was primarily the initial, the trend that came out with the first edition was like two and a half inches tall. Um, and so it was like, okay, if it's three inches, then if you fall off the, tur- the platforms that are available in the starter set, then nobody takes damage. And it was kind of like, eh, round up. Uh, in this edition, uh, the falling uh, happens if you are a vert- any vertical distance two inches or higher above the battlefield floor and you don't round up. All around that just kind of just clarifies it. Two inches or higher and you're rolling for fall damage. Um, I think that's probably the easiest way to do it. And I think we've already established that, um, you know, Vint loves throwing people in lava. Uh, I think <laughs> I could probably extrapolate <laughs> to, like Very throwing true. people off platforms too. Oh, it's, yeah, yep. yep. So, uh, yep. We we, we, want, <laughs> we want more uh, more chaos and, and damage. So, I think that was a good good change. That's right, more falling, <laughs> kind of just uh, rolling uh, rolling with the falling. The impact damage uh, roll is inverted. Previously, us on a on a if you rolled a six, the highest number on the dice, you got three damage. A four to five was one damage, and a one to three was zero damage. Uh, they've switched that now so that on a one, you get max damage of three, two to three is one damage, four to six is zero. And I think that that's sort of just in line with rolling low is bad. Rolling high is Mm -hmm. good. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's taken a minute to just keep remembering what, what is what, but all in all, I think that was a fine change. All right. I mean, I really like it because it makes it feel like the skill check, right? Like it makes it. It reminds me of D&D, like, oh, I rolled a one on my balance check, and off I go! <laughs> uh, or that corn berserker threw my character off again, uh, off the top of uh, <laughs> the, the the mountain of, of skulls or what, what, whatever you're using, nacho bowls, it could be anything. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that one, it, it, feels, it feels better, right? You're like, oh, well, I rolled a, a six, so I, I guess I rolled high enough to hurt yeah. myself. I don't know. <laughs> The the one yeah it's it it's better. good I think as as the person who's 
pushing somebody off or causing them to fall. You, you're looking for the one to see if they fell, and then you're looking for the one to see if you did the max damage to them. Uh, so uh, I think that's good consistency. Uh, rolling low, bad. All right, yeah. the next one. How hard did I eat? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next one is around uh, kind of a shift to how we treat ranged attacks in the game. Uh, so in the previous edition, ranged attacks just had to meet a min-max requirement. If you were, uh, like, um, think, you know, some of the, the further ones, it was like, you know, 20 inches at max and maybe six inches at minimum. So if you were within six inches, they couldn't shoot you. But that was the only restriction. Now, range attacks can no longer target enemy models, which are within one inch of a friendly model. Uh, let's see. And I guess I'll just add on that uh, we didn't have that here. But also, if you if a model is um, within melee or within one inch of your uh, model with a ranged attack, uh, they can't use it against anybody else except for the model they're in melee with. Uh, so we've sort of shrunk down or, or created ways for ranged attack uh, fighters with ranged attacks to kind of turn off their ability to make ranged attacks. How's that feel to you guys? Have you guys gone up against uh, many range attacks uh, outside the the COG 4044D? <laughs> I have not yet. I mean, Stormcast has got a an ability, you know, you know, but abilities aren't necessarily ranged attacks, so it doesn't seem affected by this. I'd have to reread the rules in terms of whether it's an attack action or not. But, um, but yeah, I, I'm not playing with a warband that has a ranged attack right now, so it hasn't affected me except for me wanting to be in combat and not get targeted by models. So it is certainly yeah. a different strategic element. Yeah. How about you, Vin? I, I've really liked that change specifically. As, as somebody who I don't normally play ranged warbands, I just I find the, uh, the, the cut and the, the, the strength of a, a big, big beefy dude with a big axe, like that seems pretty, pretty warhammery to me. And uh, so, I mean, I have I have two models in my army that have range attack now, but I I just having played against very shooty armies a few times, uh, the big thing for me has always been that like, well, I can't even hide from them, right? I can't even get in combat and not get shot, and they're like willing to shoot giant grudge torpedoes into their or you know KO guns into the the melee of me and their best friend, like. These are some cold, cold dwarves. <laughs> like, you know, uh, so having uh, not picking on anybody that that plays dwarves, I just you know those those are the models I just get blown away on the table from, skilled. and it, it made it shots. very difficult. Yes, yes, yeah, very skilled shots, um, and it just made it very difficult to um, try and navigate that in in a game where there's like you know you go into catacombs and at least there's cover. And some of the other stuff where you can kind of hide and get better toughness, but with the you know when you're out in the open, when you're out in the in the Gorish expanse, you know it, there's not as much place to hide. So being able to you know take your 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 Zeech Zangor and grab the the full head of a an evil <laughs> elf uh, and tell them no, not today. I've got your friend. You can't shoot me. Um, it's just, it's, it feels good. It gives, uh, it makes it, makes it feel a lot less bad, right? Chasing a stormcast around and, and fighting a vindicator 
when the three long strikes in the back are like, well, I guess we can't shoot you. <laughs> like, get scared. <laughs> yeah. yep. You know, I think I think I agree. I really like that you can uh, to nullify shooting for at least certain models. Right, if if you wanted had a key model you wanted to keep from getting shot, you either get into combat with a fighter or get in combat with that model that you don't want to get shot with, and it just gives you options, uh, which I think is important. It's definitely made me feel better about having ranged and I don't feel bad about it at all when you know having the I think it was a vindicator with the long strike uh like having the whoever the leader was in the in the previous version you know and he had like a, a 510 profile uh you know you, you get lucky once in a while and you get you know he gets most of those models that have that high range just high distance high damage they get one shot um, but it's fun to roll one uh, and you know get it off. Uh, and I remember them getting shut down from time to time by a model, etc. But uh, and and it was frustrating. It was it was it was tough. Um, but I think this. But it also felt kind of sour when you know not a lot of people had ranged and they'd get shot by something ranged and it wasn't as fun. So I think this evens that field quite a bit. I'm lucky that my uh, like my Outrider and Pistolier and Sharpshooter have the ability to bonus disengage uh, as one of their abilities, so they can kind of get away and then shoot uh, somebody. Um, and my Man Eaters have like uh, a shooting attack, but they actually prefer you to be in melee with them. So it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a, a con. Uh, they're like, I've got a pistol, you better get in melee with me, uh, and then they hack you with their with their sabers. So. I think it's fun overall, and I think it's it just you have to make some more tactical decisions and and uh, be aware. So uh, I also like I have some uh, guys who have some you know good range but not high damage, and it sort of forces my opponent to decide whether they want to go and waste some energy on shutting those ones down or letting them just you know double shoot every turn. Uh, so. I think there's some some good decoys that way as well. Overall, I like it too. This one's interesting. I don't know how much we've run into it. Uh, they've just made a distinction that what is ranged versus melee, and they say that range, previously range or melee was determined by the icon of the weapon on your fighter profile, and now it's uh, weapons with range three or less are melee, and weapons greater than three inches are ranged. And so we saw that you know previously where some Weapons were four inches. Those profiles have now been reduced to three inches to be uh, in line with this new rule. Have you guys been inf- affected by that? Has it come up? Yeah, my Shroud Queen from the, uh, yeah, uh, she her attacks were dropped from four and her melee attacks were dropped from four to three inches. But that was the only one I think I was affected by. Okay. So it just means some melee attacks are now just shorter by one inch. But it's mostly taken care of on the profile, right? It's not something that you have to hold this rule in your head, right? Yeah, yeah. So, not, I mean, it's just an interesting change, but not something that I'm like, oh, how, what was that rule again? More allies and thralls. Previously, each type was dependent on meeting different criteria, like completing a challenge or playing certain games. And I guess I, I maybe wrote this up wrong, because basically in matched play, you have more freedom to add allies and thralls. Uh, in narrative play, you often have to reach some 
conclusion of a quest or something to add them to your warband or uh, have some some additional kind of uh, achievements. So in uh, warband construction for match play, you can have up to two allies in addition to your, uh, and often that is a model with a hero rune mark uh, or something designated as an ally, uh, three thralls and one monster at the creation. Uh, again, narrative play, you have to kind of find, unlock that ability along the way. So a little more open. Uh, uh, we haven't really played much mo- match play and not really had many allies or thralls or monsters in ours. I know, um, Vint, you play with a thrall, correct? I have. Uh, I've I played with a, a Raptorix for a real long time uh, just because I like those models and have a lot of them. And I've done Chaos Warhounds too because they're, again, a model I think is fun and it fits the Warcry feel that, oh, of course, we bring our hunting dogs with to go scout out this other adventuring party to murder <laughs> right. and steal yeah. them. Of course. I think, for me, the, the big excitement with this was that uh, before... Uh, trolls were monsters, and you could take a rock bed as a monster, and it felt weird, um, or an ally, rather. But now that they're thralls, oh, you know, like, trolls running around with squigs is really viable, and it seems very fun and fluffy that you'd wrangle a troll that's going to follow around your destruction warband and just eat the leftovers or take first bite. You know, it's just, it's super cool, uh, and I'm most excited about those, but the thralls, with the more of them and more availability, I think it just means that we're going to see really cool, really diverse lists with some thralls in them. Yeah, the only dis- again, the only downside is order cannot have thralls. So I still wish they would come up with like mercenaries, which count as thralls for order. Yeah, well, I think griffhounds could be thralls. I think you know there there are options that we could take. Um, griffhounds came down quite a bit in cost and effectiveness. You can't take them as thralls or allies though but so it would be nice if that's what i'm saying is i think yeah. i think there would there seems like some sensical thrall options uh, right. right the other difficulty is that every except for the uh, the hydra and the cryptus every monster in the in order is mounted and so it can't be a standalone monster which is unfortunate mm-hmm. so uh, i wish there was a some exceptions to that yeah i think i mean it just opens it up uh they're being more confident in letting people add allies in my, I'm not, how do I put it for me? A good list needs to be kind of diverse and balanced and monsters and allies take up art like they're expensive. And so I'm a little leery about how effective it is to add those into your warband and be able to do all the things you might need to do in a typical game. Um, <laughs> While a monster could probably just eat and kill everything, I don't know if it lets you get all the other, you know, do everything else you would need to do with the rest of your warband. But so I'm a bit skeptical that it's going to come up very often, but I'd like to play it some more. I, yeah, I think for, for an answer to that too, uh, some of the things they've done with the thrall um, options, right? Your, your abilities that you can do with the thralls. Having them, uh, what what I've used them for in the past is I'll use them as a tackle. They're going to go tackle somebody and hold them in their back line so the rest of my guys can move around or whatever they're going to do because normally the thralls are pretty inexpensive and they're faster than a lot of mm-hmm. the stuff I was playing. Uh, until I played like Beast of Chaos or Zangors or some of the quicker warbands, it was just nice to have like a Raptorix that could run around pretty quick 
or a fury run around that's pretty quick and go tackle something so my leader can take a turn getting there and not stress about somebody else going to get me. And now with the ability to move your thralls closer is one of the, those standard abilities. Uh, it just makes that, that thrall feel even more like a pet, so the feel of the game um, remains awesome. But also you're getting you know, you're getting a more useful companion out of your thralls. So I think last edition, some of it they suffered with couldn't quite do the tackling. They'd run up and just die, or they'd run up and not do any damage and just kind of swing and miss, right? They'd, they'd run up and not do as enough. But now with this, they, they have abilities helping push them to be better thralls and be better pets. Um, and because they're better pets and they're working more in congruency with your army, you just, I think you just have a better time in general. Well, we will find out some more about monsters as we build and paint new monsters. And um, we'll see about the allies because these are, these are things that we want to you know, figure out how to bring into narrative events as well and, and make sure they can uh, feel balanced and ish. Um, so, all right, uh, next, climbing restrictions. What previously you could pretty much climb anything, any surface, any terrain, any object. Um, Etc. In this edition, they are pretty explicit. Cannot climb branches of the trees. Cannot cr- uh, climb statues, fountains, uh, things like that. Uh, so, uh, some of those things are are create those as more obstacles than they might have been previously. Right, being able to climb a a statue and then jump off the statue onto a platform or something like that is sort of like says, nope, you can't do that. One other change to climbing too that they define is that you just have to be within half inch of that terrain piece to climb it. So a little more forgiving in terms of that uh, being having to be too specific on how I guess how close you are, how many inches you're moving around, etc. So it just kind of frees it up. Uh, have you guys had any situations where you've wanted to climb a branch or a statue and been like, nope, can't do it? Is that coming to play? Uh, not yet. So we'll just have to keep that in mind. Um, I'm sure there's a, a few other things uh, to think about. I will say, I think early on, I, I read this and I thought maybe it was because the gur trees are deadly, like they're going to try and kill you. And I saw that you can climb the trunk. At, mm-hmm. For some reason, I thought maybe I couldn't climb the trunk at all. Uh, but you can climb the trunk of the, the gur trees, uh, not wood trees. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. A new one kind of going along with allies. Uh, you can now have up to three fighters in your warband with the hero rune mark. One of them is your leader. Previously, only your leader of your warband could have a, lo- a leader rune mark unless they were an ally. Uh, so this means that as you grow, certain quests let you bring in other uh, allies, uh, fighters with the hero rune mark from other armies within your grand alliance. Uh, but you could also means I could have two sharpshooters in my army. Uh, to, to bring into it rather than just pick one of them, uh, one of the hero marked uh, fighters to, to be in my heart, army at any given time. Ha- we haven't run into that yet either because we're kind of new under quests. Uh, any thoughts or considerations uh, you guys mold over on this? Good, bad, ugly? Um, I definitely think it's an interesting addition. And I think especially because the narrative rule set here, uh, heroes have heroic traits. So it's certainly... Um, benefits them the most. I do find that most of the bespoke warbands only have one model with the leader rune mark. So this this rule really benefits all the other ones, the ones that aren't war price specific. 
because they have many leader options. So in that way, I think it kind of, it feels to me it slightly gives them an unfair advantage. Very meaning like, you know, for example, the Dark Oath, you could take the Slaughterborn, you know, again and again, you know, so, but it would be the same model, maybe with different weapon loadouts. But for like you, for example, Cities of Sigmar, you have a ridiculous number of leader options. So it adds more diversity and flexibility as heroes. Yep. Yep. I, I think that's definitely the case. Um, uh, I think it's one, it's an answer to, you know, they came out with the like double packs for the Warcry Warbands where you'd get uh, the, the, whatever the core sprues instead of just one, you get two of those. And so you'd get two heart eaters, right? And so being able to only field one of those kind of felt bad, right? Um, um, so I think that's one, it is an answer to that. And then the other is, yeah, for the, non uh warcry specific warbands you definitely have a lot more variety to choose from uh and gives them a little bit of an advantage for sure i agree with that how about you vint has that been something that you're looking forward to being able to take more heroes in your yes and no right i feel um kind of what what josh was saying like the the corn mortalist i helped my friend build has two leaders in it um and they're both really good and they both kind of help the list work, and they don't have the same rune mark, um, which I think is another thing. But you can still ally those in. So, so like, I could take a Slaughterborn and a Skullgrinder, or a, you know, and then an Ogroid Thamatruders if I had all the ally points I needed to do it. And that's kind of cool in its own right, right? Because I can really mix and match because generic camps. Um, but on the same note, like, if I'm looking for multiple heroes of the same sort, it, I mean, I don't, I don't know how many ribbon dancing blessed ones do you need? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> they're so cool and they're great models, but if you have like three or four of those in a list, you know, that's not legal. But even if you have two, right, there's two big, you know, dancing models across the table moving eight inches. Um, slapping up the uh, the opponent's warband, which is fine, but they're like, you know, you fall into the same thing with multiple heroes. Do they do enough to lose all that action priority? Right? Do they do they make it feel fluffy and fun? Like, how am I explaining that my you know my spire tyrants with their leader, who is supposed to be the the pit champion, is standing next to another pit champion? And I know, like, Hulk Hogan fought alongside Randy Savage, but that doesn't mean they are both world <laughs> championship wrestlers, you know? So, like, uh, it, it just, it, it feels, it feels funny in the narrative. Uh, I guess it makes sense competitively in some cases. However, I, I don't know that it makes it competitive enough to make the competitive case for it, not to say competitive 16 times in that sentence. I just, that's, that's what it is. I, I don't know that, you need, you know, three Ogroid Thamaturges running around in your list is cool, but uh, and I found that with Beast of Chaos, right? Because you have near characters with the Bulgors and the Doombor. You can play that list, and they're real chunky, and they're real tough, and they hit super hard, but when that Skaven player runs past you with ten different Skaven, and one of them's got the treasure, but you can't get to them because, well, they outmaneuvered or outmoved you, and you're just looking at the scape and run away with your treasure, man, does that feel like you messed up. So like, it just, it just, I feel like it's a, it's an option, 
And if somebody makes a really cool story about it, I would love to hear the cool story about the the two slaughterborn that made a, a, a blood pack to bring down the NWO <laughs> and uh, take Sting out at the top of the chain. Um, but I just I just don't don't know how that writes or or competitives well enough to make it something that the the normal Warcry warbands want to do. It makes more sense in the bigger warbands. That's a really long answer to that that very simple question. But yep, I think that. In general, having a lot of heroes on in the warband may may not give you the uh, points to have action priority or activation priority or you know have the variety of things. Um, like you said, if you have two two heroes from a, a warband specific army, you're sort of being able to to put their special abilities any you know multiple places on the table, which could be good, but you know, when with Cities of Sigmar, if I put another leader or hero marked um, model fighter on the table or in the warband, it unlocks new abilities for me, right? And and the Warcry specific ones don't have that ability. So at least there's that, right? If I wanted to bring my ranged hero uh, who has the, you know, 510 damage profile with one attack, you know, that brings a different kind of element into the game into my warband than if i had another heart eater um you know, on the table for my untamed beasts so yeah i think i think it's good if you have some cheap heroes also um again if you have to spend too much on a hero then you may be doing it at the cost of variety but all right uh next reaction uh, reactions previously were introduced in the pit fights from Tome of Champion 2020, uh, the Triumph and Treachery. I haven't played any games of that. I know we've talked about maybe being able to play some, but now uh, we have three generic reactions that anybody can use, um, and one specific reaction. And the way that they're used is if conditions for the reaction are met, and a model has not activated yet, right? Uh, or has one activation left, uh, they can use either Renown or a triple execute the reaction. Which, uh, how has that been for you guys? Have you been able to use reactions? Has it been, uh, have you played them right? I don't think I played them exactly right uh, out of the gate. How are you guys feeling about reactions so far? Uh, yeah, I've used the, uh, the Beast of Chaos reaction a couple of times. Uh, it's a nice one which reduces each incoming hit or critical hit uh, by one damage each, you know, so just, you know, you take one less damage from each hit, essentially. So it has kept my kept my models alive, but, you know, it can be difficult to decide, oh, do I want to spend my action to do this reaction? And But, you know, there are certainly cases where, okay, well, if I die, he doesn't get an action anyway, so I might as well use the reactions. <laughs> so but there's certainly good cases now where you don't feel bad about having your model beaten down before you can do anything. It's like, okay, I have a chance to do something. What you, Vin? So, the image of in my head, normally when my Ogreite does his uh, boon of sorcery ability, where he adds half the value of the ability to the strength of his next missile weapon, is that he, he kind of does a Kamehameha, right? And so, the Zeech reaction being that if somebody's getting beat up, if you roll a crit, I can steal, like, react and make one of my doubles, which is the ability I need, the number of the dice on a pair of the number, whatever number of dice I want out of your pool. So I can go from, oh, I have 
three twos and there's not really anything I need that triple for, I'm going to spend those three twos to make my double a, a six. And now I've got, I went from strength three to strength six with my, my guy and nothing screams Kamehameha like Krillin getting smoked and Goku getting <laughs> mad. So it just, it, it feels good. It's fun. It's fluffy. It, it doesn't, it's a lot of times it's hard to decide if I want to do the reaction. And I think it's probably just reps without them. Um, that makes me, me pause or wonder. Yeah, I've I've tried to use them a couple of times. Uh, the gray water fastness have a reaction. I think it's either similar or close to similar to the the uh, generic ones. But it's a fighter can make a reaction after they're targeted by an attack action, but before the hit rolls are made. For each hit roll from the attack action that misses, allocate one damage point to the attacker. For each hit roll of one, I'll take two damage. So it's sort of uh, is like a volley of of, of it's a counter. What was that? Yeah, it's 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 like the universal counter, but but for shooting. So, yep. So I if I can use it with my my ranged attacks, um, and so uh, it kind of feels like returning fire as they're kind of rushing you, uh, which is kind of flavorful. Uh, but I've haven't used it a lot because sometimes I forget it, and then I didn't I didn't realize at first I didn't read close enough that it you need to have that it spends a one of your actions of your activation. So. Uh, there's a token that comes with this uh, new edition that's just a single uh, slash um, as opposed to the two slashes for the X. And that's the token you use that if you use your reaction before your activation, you'd put that down so that when you activate, you know, you only have one uh, action left. And then whether it's a triple or renown, I think I think I'm now that I have more renown in my warband, um, I'm more likely to use it rather than spending uh, one of my ability dice because i usually have those mm-hmm. planned out for certain things so i am looking forward to trying out some more sweet let's see games can draw end in a draw now whereas pre- previously you would uh play more rounds to break a tie mm-hmm. i would assume uh and and it reflects that in the a- in, in the narrative aftermath uh you get points for a tie as opposed to uh just a win or um just winning so that's both puts more glory in the pot and makes games go faster, right? Yeah. You end rather than keep them going. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, should have put this with the other one. Fall tests uh, are triggered on any attack. Uh, previously, you would, uh, if you were attacked and uh, the, the attacker uh, rolled a crit, a six, and you were within half inches of a platform edge, you would roll, and on a one, you would fall, and then you would roll for fall damage. Now, same kind of things. If you are attacked, and you are on ladder stairs or within half inch of a platform, and it doesn't have a, a railing on that edge, and you are attacked, you make a roll, which I love. I love forcing more of these fall rolls. Um, I find uh, that uh, you know, I I just like the ch- chance of knocking some, the chance of knocking someone off a ledge is much higher. And it's great for my shooting stuff that can just go over and pink and try and knock something off. Uh, and uh, recently I did that and I knocked something off and I was like, oh, no, that was a bad <laughs> idea uh, because uh, it got him closer to my models, even though I picked the direction he fell. But, you know, it's one of those where uh, it happens regardless. And so uh, you may not want to attack somebody who's on a ledge because you don't want them to fall off, um, et cetera, and give them extra, I guess, movement. Uh, in some cases, without uh, uh, 
using it, using an activation for it. So uh, has that been fun for you guys? You like causing those falls to happen more often? Yeah, yeah. No, I think uh, I, I think it's interesting. Yes, yeah. all the falling, <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah hit or miss. <laughs> you know, it's like they're they're dodging. You know, that's not something they get hit. They're trying to get out of the way. They fall. I, I feel it's more dynamic and realistic in that sense. I guess. Yep. If you're going to dodge, you're likely to get off balance and and, and fall over. Right. Here's one that uh, of all of these, uh, Josh spotted all of them, and then I came in with this one. You can no longer move while you are in melee. You have to disengage. So previously, if you were within melee of somebody, you could move as long as you didn't end further from that enemy fighter. And this allowed you to do some things like skirt around somebody uh, to be able to get at a different fighter behind them. Now, uh, you know, uh, and there was uh, uh, the thing with that, and I found this just recently. So, but, but what happens now is if you're within one inch of an enemy fighter, you must take the disengage action, at, which means you have to end outside of uh, one inch of any enemy fighter. Um, and this happened to me recently where I was engaged by two of my opponents and or two fighters from my, from my opponent, and I took a disengage action. And so I was outside of one inch, but I was probably two inches from one of them. And in the previous edition, that one that was engaged with me but further away I'm sorry, they were engaged with two of my models, but one of them disengaged. He could have skirted around my one model to be able to attack the one that just disengaged. And it sort of would have negated my disengage, right? But this way, they would have to disengage and then use an, another activation to move towards me. So I found that it it made my disengage more meaningful, uh, which I appreciated. Have you guys had an instance where you wished you could you play by the old rule uh, and, and skirt around a fighter, and but just couldn't. Oh, certainly, yeah. Now with a with a melee oriented warband, yeah, it helps to be able to slide along and then attack multiple models if you think you're going to kill one. So, but I, I do like the change. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the change. I I always thought it was strange that like in, in my head that that pit fighting scene where the gladiators are running around each other in a circle, like. That's very cool, but having like four or five fighters, you know, in a big scrum where they're doing that just feels really weird. It feels more like a line dance. So, so I guess for me, I I I like the rule: the no moving around in combat mm-hmm. makes it you're you're focused on the person you're fighting. You're not <laughs> you're not worried about if Shania Twain's on the radio again. You know, <laughs> exactly. It don't impress me much. It don't impress me much <laughs> in the eyes of an angel. Wait, no, I think that's the <laughs> uh, Then we move on to deadly terrain. Uh, previously, uh, if you moved over, dread, like if climbed over, you know those spiky chaos symbols, uh, which is deadly terrain, you would it would cause an impact damage roll, so a chance of just getting, you know, uh, one, two, or three. Now it causes a deadly terrain roll of a d six, d six damage. So it has up to chance of wounding you up to six. Uh, wounds has that been something you guys have have either of you impaled yourselves on deadly terrain yet yep not yet (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah, she'll be happy to know this i I go down illinois i play two games with my spire tyrants and the spire tyrant guy he got d6 first try trying to climb over something spiky that guy just cannot navigate terrain 
So just going with the theme of a little more deadly than before, uh, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and especially now with, um, you know, being able to force more falling, if you've got dangerous terrain around or deadly terrain around, uh, there's yep. just more ways to impact <laughs> I've been trying to do that, but haven't gotten lucky. <laughs> yeah. So uh, next one is platform cover. Previously, if you could, the the rule was explained this way, and I think this is more of a clarification. Yeah. Uh, or like it, it makes sense with how the rule was, but it's spelled out. So the rule previously with cover was if you could draw an unobstructed line from a model on a floor to a, a model on a platform, then no cover was granted. So if I could just draw an unobstructed line uh, to another model, then no covers granted. But I think previously, if you're up on a platform, I guess you could say that, you know, you can't really draw a line there, but it wasn't spelled out. Uh, but, and also we, as we've read uh, most of the time that cover is granted to you by a, an obs or yeah, an obstacle, which is terrain that sits on the, on a floor or platform and goes up an inch or more. Um, in this case, it's just saying if I'm on a platform, that platform is giving me some cover. Um, so if you are on a platform and targeted by a model two inches or lower vertically, you automatically gain cover, uh, which adds uh, plus one to your toughness. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, you're... and I find that I think that's great. Yeah. So all my shooting that likes to sit on the ground floor and not move, <laughs> I have to deal with that often, which is I'm okay with. I'm okay with because then I get to knock them down and then shoot them on the floor. Uh, so take that. <laughs> Bring them down to my level. <laughs> yeah. Make them fall. So <laughs> next we have uh, mount movement. Previously, they could, uh, if you had a mount, you couldn't climb, couldn't go through doors, couldn't go through archways, couldn't open doors. Uh, now. Couldn't use stairs. Uh, the, couldn't use stairs. But now the restriction is lifted on stairs, so they can use stairs. And our one caveat to that with the. Um, with the heart of Gur terrain is that there's some of those uh, kind of um, they're just like really short has a has a piece of wood across them or a bar that you can hook the the bridges to throw bridges but it sits really low and we measured that and it's under an inch so we allow because you can any model can go over terrain that's an inch we sort of treat that as an entry point for mounted models to go up onto the uh, bridges and platforms from that. Any other kind of uh, experiences with that, guys? No, no, I think it's a good change because mounts, you know, in real life can use stairs. So. Next, we got beasts and treasure. Uh, previously, you could have uh, model fighters with the beast rune mark able to pick up treasure and carry it around, like aether wings and uh, uh, griff hounds and, and that sort of stuff. But now, if a model has the beast rune mark, it cannot carry treasure. And models carrying treasure reduce their movement by two inches to a minimum of three inches and cannot disengage. Yeah. Uh, so they have to fight for that treasure. So that's that's pretty crazy. Big changes. Um, yeah. I haven't played any treasure uh, victory conditions. How about you guys? Yeah. Yeah, I did. And uh, I have a cockatrice, and it could not carry the treasure. So it actually impacted my game quite a bit. Because it's the fastest model it can fly, but you know it could not carry any treasure, so it does make a big difference. And it's nice—it's nice to be able to try and catch the models that do have treasure, though. So uh, it's good. How about you, Vent? Any treasure scenarios? No, uh, there was this uh, this game where somebody had a cockatrice. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, no, no. Actually, aside from that, I haven't. Uh, I haven't had anybody with the beast rune mark on on the table with the treasure uh, with the treasure token mission. However, one of my friends played uh, had been debating a Korgarath, and I brought that up as a reason that they should be mindful of their rune marks because some things are beasts. I don't know if the Korgarath is or not. But at the end of the day, there's just there's more. I think there are wraith monger, wrath mongers that ended up on the table instead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, and I don't remember honestly off the top of my head if the choreograph had it, but that was one of the things I brought up. Like, yeah, be careful because some of these things are just beasts, right? Yeah, um, and I, in last edition, uh, you know, I made very good use of uh, aether wings with their like ten inch or twelve inches of movement and uh-huh. you know, be able to go pick something up and move around. Um, spiders, snakes, all sorts of, and so I think this restriction is really good for kind of limiting, like those are often cheap, fast models are still good for objective uh, holding and that sort of thing. They're just not smart enough to carry things, uh, especially heavy treasure chests or something like that. So, Mm -hmm. um, it, it, I think it brings more value to like flying, uh, units that are more expensive, um, and that sort of thing. So I think it's good. Any other thoughts on this one? Nope. Nope. All right. Uh, last one standing. This is one that uh, Josh brought up that I didn't realize uh, previously. Uh, in the previous edition, the last model of your warband on the table. So if it was you had a single model by itself, everything else was dead, and you just had this one hero or one whatever they were, that you could use as many abilities as you wanted. So if you had... It's fourth round. You have one model on the table and you roll three doubles. You could use all three of those in your activation. Now, the last model in the warband that's still standing can no longer use as many abilities as they want. So they've sort of taken that that uh, final stand away. And I'm a little sad. I only remember it maybe happening one time with my Heart Eater, kind of being the last one on the table and trying to take out some uh, Iron Jaws or something and needed every ounce of those abilities to do it. Uh, to, to try and make something happen and it's super epic uh, so if I were to homebrew something I might do that. How about you guys? Yeah, I think I only saw one person use it before I, I never had the chance to use it myself So, but I think its absence does not necessarily change a whole lot it was just, it was very flavorful though Yeah, uh, I hadn't run into any, any missions where somebody had used it uh, that I can recall and I haven't personally used it once myself I suppose uh, I suppose the only other place it would be for like small unit or small uh, model count warbands where you know you start with six and you lose a bunch, you know there's more of a chance of, of this going off. But narrative systems and quests. Uh, this one's a little more complex. I feel like go ahead. Uh, I feel like we could do a whole episode just on this question alone. Probably could. So we'll keep it brief. Previously in quests, uh, you had sort of a path you would take. You know, I think it was like uh, ten to eleven battles with con- uh, convergences along the way. Uh, so you'd often play, you know, whatever battle you wanted to play. You just play battles with your friends, uh, and they would count towards your, you know, kind of progression. And then you would reach your convergence. You'd play a special game, all set up and ready and decided for you play that against them and if you beat that then you could keep going so there was sort of like moments where you could like progression could halt while you're trying to beat a certain uh thing or win a certain um scenario and then you move on and then you get your thing at the end here we sort of have 
You just keep playing games. You choose quests that you want to go on, and they let you add certain things to your warband. There's no kind of marching. You're not really marching from one location to another location like in those uh, quests. In addition to that, uh, the quests, then we have encampments that give you special abilities to um, you know, add more models to your warband. Um, you could lose them, you could gain them, etc. As you said, Vint, we could probably talk a whole th- thing on this. How are you guys feeling? Uh, just kind of an optimism or pessimism about this change? You feeling interested? Is it is it uh, piquing your your curiosity and feeling like it'll be as narratively fulfilling at first glance? How about you, Josh? Um, I I kind of miss the convergences just because it was a story specific element in which you had to succeed. But I think what they did is they they added campaign arcs, which were supposed to add that element to it. So you'd have this layer of campaign arc over your quest. They just don't have a lot of choices in campaign arcs for us to choose from yet. So I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll get more options for those later. And then that'll kind of add some of that storytelling aspect back. I'm enjoying the quest so far, though. Yeah. How about you, Vint? Any concerns or feeling pretty positive? Uh, I think the big thing for it is that uh, I'm very optimistic about it. I think that when it comes to the narrative uh, and the quest lines, again, it it gives itself to armies on parade boards. It gives itself to different hobby projects. If I get a scorpion pit, I can tell you I'm going to try and build a scorpion pit to move my army around on. (laughs) And that's just super cool. Yeah, And so... They might not have had some of the same storytelling uh, aspects to these. However, I think what they what they changed is that they have a lot more customization, and all of their customization is in these, you know, little blurbs here and there of what you can put into your, um, into your encampment, and with the different things you can add to your encampment, you know, you couple that with the things from the Thondia book. Um, from Age of Sigmar, and you just get this really cool picture of your warband in Gur, uh, doing whatever your quest is that you're writing for yourself, with all the tools you could ever hope for. I just think it's it's a lot of fun, and I think it's really well done. And just uh, to kind of add, uh, you did make a good point, Finn. I think adding to that is that a lot of people felt that the previous campaign system was long, so all these quests are kind of short, and so I think it. It kind of gets that achievement of, oh, I've completed my quest. Yes, I'm motivated. Let's get another quest. And, you know, so I think that does uh, facilitate gameplay and it feels like people are telling their story more quickly. I can see that for sure. Being able to have small victories, keep the kind of dopamine going and and, uh, kind of work (laughs) on the next one. What was I going to say? I am, I do think, you know, generals, uh, not generals, uh, Tomo Champions, uh, you know, 2023. Uh, or whatever the next one, that, or 2022 comes out. Yep. So if we get one of those this fall, I'm sure that will have a ton of quests and options and that sort of thing. Um, I also remember, you know, Necromunda had sort of a system whereby you gain different locations. And those locations gave you different abilities along mm-hmm. the quest. So I think this is probably feeding a little bit from that. It will be cool to kind of have like, ooh, I've got a trade post or I've got scorpions. Uh, uh, nest or you know whatever it is and, and be super flavorful so and and you'll lose some and you'll gain new ones and it'll kind of just shift and change what your warband is throughout and maybe what you add what you take away and how you build it so yeah i'm i'm optimistic and you know um we didn't know that 
uh, well, we had some we had some uh, quests in the first start playing, didn't we? The first uh, starter book, Core Rules. Yeah. So we had an idea of those are coming, but uh, the Toma Champions just kind of blew those up even more. So, and in our kind of recap uh, in season four, like there was a lot of different ways to be questing and and uh, discovering things, but it was hard to get to it all. So I could also see where it was long. I guess the last one, uh, toughness is more important in this edition. So we just see a lot more cases where you're gaining toughness, uh, where toughness has value. Another one that I think see more as we as we get going. And that's those are all the, the new rules that we caught. Uh, obviously, if you have any others that you've been playing with that you think uh, that are different than how we used to play it in the previous set, let us know. Find us on our Discord, uh, tweet at us, or uh, you know, email us at uh, dogsofwarcry at gmail.com. Any other thoughts uh, from you guys? Um, I mean, I think the new edition is going to continue to be awesome. Uh, GER.0 is fantastic, and I'm really excited about whatever they're going to add to it. We had you that we went very far one way with catacombs. It'd be cool to see more catacomb stuff come out, right? Like maybe maybe this winter, or this uh, spring, we're going to see another catacombs esque uh, table and style. Uh, that'd be neat. Where it's hyper deadly mm-hmm. terrain, hyper deadly movement. Um, you've got. Like if we're in the in the ship, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Yeah. So there's just there's just a lot of cool things that I think they can do with where we're at, and I'm just excited to see the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, I think I'm I'm really enjoying the new rules and, and testing them out. Um, I think the the narrative campaign system, like you know, like you mentioned, Vin, we probably should spend a more of an episode going in, in depth in the new narrative system and, and everything it offers. But uh, I'm enjoying the, how it's kind of set up. I'm really excited to try some campaign arcs. We just got to figure out how to how to tweak one so it accounts for the number of players we have in the league. And looking forward to designing events and things using these rules. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing this story kind of yeah. grow and evolve. And, and we're going to have to adapt a lot as we get new stuff with the kind of rate that we uh, are anticipating you know, new stuff coming out, whether that's... New quests, new rules, new war bands, new monsters, new allies. Um, if it's you know another layer over this system for playing certain kinds of games like a catacombs or a pit fight or a siege or something like that. So a lot of good stuff to come, and hopefully we can keep building up our our league group and be able to play some play test more of this stuff and and give everybody listening kind of some thoughts on on where to spend their time and energy if it's limited. Awesome. Sounds groovy. Thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you, everybody. And now that we kind of covered all that, um, I think, you know, we've, you've heard about our, our feelings on the edition, and I'm sure you've got some, too. Uh, feel free to hit us up on uh, themoralrealms.com slash Discord for our Discord link, and uh, feel free to chat with us there. We'll all be there. See you later, guys. It's time to put a muzzle on this episode. If it was a good dog, support the show with a positive review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. Share it with friends. Join us for hobby discussions at themortalrealms.com backslash discord or leave a tip at themortalrealms.com backslash patreon. More content is available at themortalrealms.com and on Twitter at Dogs of Warcry. Cry.